0: The following is a sermon from Faith Troy, a church located in Troy, Michigan. For more information and more audio and video content, go to www.faithtroy.org. you could please take your Bibles and uh, turn in them to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, and as we enter into this new year, leaving Previous behind, we'll have this as our uh, text, and we'll reference it a number of times uh, throughout uh, the message this morning. Let's read it together, beginning at verse 1 through verse 3. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Peace to you from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ, as well as uh, greetings from the sinners and saints in in Africa. I had the privilege um, to spend about the last month or so with um, brothers, um, and uh, they came from different areas and countries, uh, from Kenya, Burundi, uh, the Congo, some of them traveled seven days to come. They stayed for... Two weeks and then they traveled seven days back, came by a variety of different methods, forms um, of transportation, uh, with great sacrifice, you know, for themselves, but also it's a great privilege to be gathered together. I was a guest of Reverend James May and Lutherans in Africa, and he's the gentleman in the middle, along with uh, Jason Stevens, who is uh, missionary, uh, project manager, building the Lutherans in Africa site. Uh, they're in the process of doing that and so they thank you uh, for releasing me for months to come and to serve them and so they send their greetings and their uh, prayers uh, to you but they were extremely grateful um, that uh, you would allow uh, me to be there with them to uh, pray for them and uh, for those of you also who are engaged in praying for this opportunity, I shared with a number of you, um, I don't think we will fully know uh, what was accomplished through your intercessions, uh, nor will we fully be aware of what was held back uh, from, you know, the evil one in terms of those um, those petitions. Also, I think we would be horrified if God gave us insight into all of the things that could have happened and that the devil was trying to do. And so, uh, we will save that for eternity and for that to be revealed. But uh, we are called to be faithful in prayer, knowing that the Holy Spirit intercedes far better than we do, along with the Lord Jesus, but he invites us uh, to pray, not for only uh, the church here, but the church uh, throughout the world. It's a different place, but uh, as you will find, wherever you go, it may be different, but there are a number of things that are the same, aren't there? It's the same enemy, uh, it's the same infection and disease that has come into the world, sin, and it has corrupted us, uh, and there is a penalty to be paid for that which is death, and perhaps, um, you know, the result of that sin is just seen perhaps a little earlier in a a country that doesn't have the blessings and benefits that we have in terms of health care and support for the body. And so, Um, In a sense, though it is a different country, maybe they experience the result of sin in immediate ways. Um, And uh, we perhaps are a little insulated from that, and it catches us somewhat by surprise when illness comes or suffering or death comes. But it is the same. Same enemy. uh, Same infection, disease, same result. And uh, poverty is perhaps um, a little bit more of the uh, description of a continent like this. This is a typical Maasai house. Um, They build it with sticks and then they put uh, cow dung on the side of it and uh, then they have a roof over their head Uh, and yet you will find that they're extremely happy and content and full of great joy and uh, the simplicity of life to them having all that they need they're daily bread. Um, they are full of great joy, which is a gift uh, given to God. We have the same triune God that meets the same enemy, and so he fights. Uh, each person of the Trinity fights for us. We have the same scripture and the message, um, which is the heart and soul. The message of it is Jesus Christ Crucified, dead, risen for the forgiveness of sins with the same promise that that forgiveness of sins comes to us in simple ways, perhaps ways we despise, water and bread and wine, words on a page. Uh, And so we engaged in the study of that word. And like you, uh, they come together, they study the scriptures, they pray for the Holy Spirit to open their minds. Uh, The youth, we were there, uh, two weeks with pastors and then a week with youth, They loved the Scriptures. They opened up the Scriptures. They were attentive uh, to the Scriptures. And uh, we gave ourselves to the study of those Scriptures throughout the time. A very humbling experience for me. Um, You go there as uh, I'm entering into my 25th year of ministry, right? I have to tell you, in repentance and great humility, I feel as if I am a little child all over again, needing to learn these things, going back to the basics I'll give you one example of which um, we were describing um, what role an individual in his sin has in in, uh, being brought to God. And uh, in America, I usually pull out my little stories, reference a movie clip or something, and, you know, we enter in that way. Um, Usually I reference something like the princess bride and say, you know, there's this character and they... You think that he's dead, and then the other one comes and says, no, he's not dead, he's just mostly dead. And so I'm leading with that in Africa, and they're looking at me as if I have no idea what you're talking about. And uh, so eventually I said, well, well, just look at Ephesians chapter 2. Verse 1, it says, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, to which they said, well, why don't you just start with that? I mean... Uh, And so the reality, again, is as a child, we must come to the scriptures and they speak for us. The Holy Spirit uses those as the real teacher to speak. Why do we need to reason our way or to rationally talk it through? Uh, And so the humbling aspect of being there was extreme reliance on the way that God chooses to work, which is solely through the scriptures, and that the real teacher is not me, but it is the Holy Spirit. And when we give ourselves to that, there is uh, the working of God. And so uh, the end goal should always be, whether we're here or whether we're across the globe, is to teach the devil to death. To teach the devil to death. And that though the devil is the enemy and he fights against us with 1,000 arts, is he not wily? Is he not devious? Is he not filled with deceit and trickery and subtle? Yes. A thousand arts. That's, you know, on one hand of it, he says, boy, that's an enemy that we can't fight. The good news is God Himself, in His Word and His activity, comes against him, not just to match him, not one thousand to one thousand, but one thousand, and God comes full force back at him with what? One hundred thousand more. 100,000 more. And the end goal in this life then is for this devil uh, to be, again, put in his place by the word of God and uh, to teach him to death. So that's what we did. For a number of weeks, we used a little humble abode, you know, four plastic sides to keep the wind somewhat down and a roof held on by rocks, and that's where we studied and that's where we worshipped. And I came out, um, you know, with simply a whiteboard and the scriptures and uh, began to talk and began to to teach. And we would worship. And one of the, uh, again, um, humbling experiences, I come out to lead a worship, uh, the divine service on a um, Sunday morning and one of the pastors is out there and he's polishing his shoes right before the service. Now I had nine pages of things I needed to pack to go to Africa, and I can tell you that shoe polish um, and a brush was not on the list. They would travel for days, and they would come, and they would shine their shoes, and they would polish them, prepared, coming early, attentive to receive all that God would give to them in uh, the service of God itself. So my encouragement to you is, um, yes, you can polish your shoes. That might be a good idea. But to have your heart. uh, Have the Holy Spirit clean and to prepare and to shine a heart that is ready and receptive and accurately understanding why we come to worship. To receive the gifts of God with the greatest need for the forgiveness of sins. So, Uh, uh, a number of different Ways of looking at uh, the world and the ministry of the church, which I'm extremely grateful and humbled to have uh, received. Now, Hebrews chapter 12 helps us work through some of these ideas in a new year, closing off one, entering into another. Hebrews chapter 12, verses one through three, you follow along, will speak in it in terms of two ways. The first is the idea of the church triumphant And that was really New Year's Eve, a focus on New Year's Eve. Today being New Year's Day, it's the church triumphant, or the church militant. The church triumphant is um, this idea that there are those who have gone before us now. Hebrews 12 says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. Now, Hebrews chapter 11 speaks of a great cloud of witnesses, you know, Abraham by faith and Isaac by faith and Joseph and Jacob and Moses by faith. But it also speaks of a great cloud of witnesses. All who have died in the faith are now gathered in the heavenlies. And as Christ is present here among us, bridging heaven and earth, so too we are united with this great cloud of witnesses, surrounded by them. And so, in a very real sense, we do not begin worship. We enter into it. It's presumptuous to think, oh, we've come to worship today, and so when we start, worship starts. The biblical reality, the scriptural reality is is what? Is worship dependent on our starting and stopping, or is it an eternal activity in the heavenlies? The angels, the archangels, and all the company of heaven... In the liturgy, the historic liturgy, says, with the angels. And the archangel Michael and all the company of heaven we laud and magnify thee by saying, and what's the song of heaven? Holy, holy, holy. Lord God of Sabbath, the heavenly host. Heaven and earth are full of your glory, and then you sing, Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest, blessed is he, blessed is he, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, Hosanna in the highest. And so... We are not beginning worship. What are we? Entering into it. Entering into it. Now in the heavenlies, they speak uh, without sin, right? They're in the presence of Christ. Holy, holy, holy. We, however, have the Isaiah 6 experience when God encounters us with his righteousness and his holiness. Uh, The appropriate response is, woe is me. Woe is me, I am ruined, I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. My eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. But in the context of this worship service, as with Isaiah, an angel comes, takes the coal from the altar of sacrifice and offers it to us in word and sacrament and says, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your what? Your sin is atoned for. And so the activity of heaven and the song of heaven We just simply enter into it. Now some of you, I know this year, you have lost. You have lost the one that you love. And you are experiencing grief and properly defined perhaps grief is simply the absence of the one that you love. And so we have shared words of comfort with you at the grave. We have given to you the promise of the resurrection and yet there is still that sense in you that the one that I love is absent from me. But if we take Hebrews chapter 12 as the word of God spoken to us, the one that we love is what? Worshiping with us. Worshiping with us the angels and the archangels. And one day the promise will be is that we will be with them and with the Lord forever. So it is appropriate, I think, um, that we pause. Um, that we are again reminded of the frailty of this life, the wages of sin being death, the separation that is caused by that sin, but then to hear the promise of Christ uh, right back into the middle of that. And so if you have lost a loved one this year, um, and it has been a tender year for you, uh, perhaps especially at Christmas, I want to share these words with you from 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. It says, Paul speaking to those who have lost someone in death. He says, Brothers, we do not want you to be ignorant about those who fall asleep, or to grieve like the rest of men who have no hope. We believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. And so according to God's word, where are those who have died in Christ? With Jesus. In the presence of Jesus. Separated from you. No more conversations. No more Christmases. No more memories. And that brings great pain and great grief to you. But they are in the presence of Jesus. And see how the Holy Spirit turns it around? Though you grieve the no mores, what do they have? They're in possession of no more sin, no more death, No more sorrow, no more tears, no more pain, no more suffering. So Paul says, I don't want you to be ignorant about those who fall asleep or to grieve like the rest of men who have no hope. We believe that Jesus died and what? Rose again. And so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. According to the Lord's own word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left to the coming of the Lord will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. And then the text says, and then we will be what? Caught up together with them to be with the Lord in the air forever. And it ends by saying, then, therefore, do what? Encourage each other with these Words. Encourage each other with these words. Grief, the absence of the one that you love. The promises that they are in the presence of Jesus. But the promise is also this: is that now Jesus is present with us. Not departed, not far away. In the incarnation of all things, Christmas says he is what? Present with us. He was given the name Emmanuel, which means what? God with us. Did he ever give the name back? He still has the name. In his glorified body, he still is among us, especially as we gather together. They eat, this is my body, this is my blood. Present, Jesus present with us. Jesus present with us, no matter what the shape or The facility, right? Do you thank God for the facilities that he gives to you in this place? Absolutely. Is this any more sacred or is that any more sacred? What makes it a sacred holy place? The promise of the presence of Jesus. The holy one giving to us holy things to make holy people. And perhaps then that's why we should polish our shoes sense of sacredness and reverence that we are in the presence of the Holy One. He has made the place a holy place. He wants to give to us holy things, and he wants to make us who are unholy, holy or set apart or sanctified. And maybe it is polishing your shoes. You know, in fact, I did that last night in, in remembrance of a meal from Burundi. Um, polished my shoes. We are entering into a sacred place, a sacred time where God wants to give to us sacred gifts. That doesn't mean you have to polish your shoes, but what does it mean? Oh Lord, prepare in me a what? May the meditation of my heart, my thoughts be pleasing in your your sight. And so the church triumphant on New Year's Eve, we celebrate the promise in the midst of death, the loss of the ones that we love, that there is a church triumphant No more fighting against the accuser in the heavenlies. They are before the face of God. But here on this earth, Revelation 12 says he was cast down. The accuser is cast down. And now what does he do? He fights. He fights against uh, the people of God. And so as we enter into a new year, now we say, God, you have given to me a new year to enter into. And I am here. And I am entering into the warfare that you have called me to do. This is the church militant. How is it that we are to how is it that we are to fight? What is it that we are to fight? Is it against flesh and blood? No. It's against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. And this is what then the letter to the Hebrews uh, picks up in verse uh, chapter one, chapter 12, verse 1 through 3. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us what then? Throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. If you look back on the last year, have there been things that not only have hindered you in the kingdom, but you have hindered the kingdom? Have there things that have so easily entangled you And you shake your head at it and said, how could I have been so blind to this? Little thing, all of a sudden it wrapped around you and it tripped you up and and not only uh, did you hurt others, uh, but you yourselves were hurt. The enemies being the flesh within you, the world around you, and the devil above you. I mean, that's quite a triumvirate, isn't it? I mean, you have... You yourself, the sinful flesh, with all of its you know, desires that are fighting against the kingdom, waging war against you. Then you step into a world that entices you and wants to lure you away from the things of Christ and the kingdom. And then on top of all of that, you have the devil himself in the, in the spiritual realm, you know, hidden from our eyes, but very much reality above you and fighting against you. And what is one of the first things that this devil, the flesh, and the world wants to go after? Well, it's the very first commandment, which is, thou shalt have no other gods before me. What does this mean? We should fear, love, and trust in God above all things. The reality being is that the triune God doesn't want to be first in your life. He wants to be only. In fact, if you're told... You know what? Put God first in your life. This is a devilish little trick and twist of words, thinking, oh, how pious it is. God's going to be first in this new year. Well, if there's a first, then tell me, is there a second? Is there a third? Is there a fourth? Is there a fifth? There's many gods, then, is there not? You think, well, maybe we just put God first, and when that doesn't quite work out, we have this backup plan, and we're going to... No, God doesn't want to be first. He wants to be only. Have no other gods before me. No other gods before my face. Now, you might think someone living in a little hut like that might you know, be pushed towards that realization that, well, I don't have anything anyways, so you know, all I have is God himself. If you live in a place like this, can your heart have many idols? And can your heart also have a heart that trusts by faith in the triune God alone? Yes. How about that picture? It's within about 200 yards of each other. This is on the top of the Gong Hills. It's not really a hill. It's more like a mountain. And the youth have this great idea in Africa. After the teaching period of a week or so, they say, our last day we're going to climb the Gong Hills and we'll have a teaching up there to which I said, Well, all right, doesn't seem that hard. Well, I, was, I knew I was in distress about a quarter of the way up, and my mistake was if I just follow the littlest one, who's about 11, I, if I can keep up with them, I'll make it. Little did I know that the littlest one would be the first one to the top of the, of the Gong Hills. But as, as we walked to the top, and there are these huge windmills on the top there, um, there's this hut. It's a Maasai hut. It's just sticks with cow dung on the side for the walls. And about 200, 300 yards later, there is this Mercedes at the top of the hill, surrounded by cows and sheep and, and goats. Now, can someone who, the owner of that car, can they, can they have their heart perfectly right and content with God and no other gods? Absolutely. Can their heart be led astray? Absolutely. Right? So it's the heart that makes the idol, not necessarily the things that are given to us. And this is why in Proverbs 30, the words are, Two things I ask of you, and perhaps maybe this is a good New Year's verse for you. Two things I ask of you, O Lord, in this new year. Keep falsehood and lies far from me. Give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. Otherwise I may have too much and disown you and say, Who is the Lord? Or I may become poor and steal and so dishonor the name of my God. Take that verse up. It's a very difficult set of words humanly to work through. Praying, God, in this new year, don't give me too much. Why? Because if you give me me too much, what might happen to my heart? Those things might become my God. Oh, God, don't give me too little. Why? Because then I'll be tempted to steal and dishonor you. In fact, the challenge perhaps if I can put it in the broad possible uh, between the United States and Africa is this. I believe that the devil is probably using the too little of Africa to lead it towards other gods. Namely, the chief um, threat to the faith is false teaching about health, wealth, and prosperity. If, if you only were to give to me some of your your monies, then what will God do? He will abundantly bless you. And if all you have is little, the devil comes and says, oh, that must be, that must be the reality of, of life. I have little because I don't have enough faith. And so the biggest threat there is false teaching. False teaching about the true nature of God and his gifts. Turning the eyes away from the gifts of the forgiveness of sins to the gifts of the world. Now, in a broad categorization, maybe the challenge to America is that we have too much. Too much in the sense that we are comfortable. which leads to complacency, which is quite devious of the evil one. He just does what? He just leaves you then alone. Let them go on their own way. Let them have their first God, their second God, their third God, their fourth God. Prayer being, God, give me my daily bread. And God, you decide what that daily bread is. Too much, too little, that's not for me to decide. That's up for God to decide. Johann Gerhard, a Reformation writer, wrote these words in his sacred meditations, and I think they're appropriate for um, evaluation of our life in the year. He says, lift up your thoughts to the God whom we or you have offended. And so you can think about this in this way. We look up. Look up to a God that we have offended. Have we offended him in this last year? Have you? Yes. If you love God with all your heart, soul, and mind? Look down to the hell that we have earned. What is it in your life that you have really earned, that I have really deserved because of my sin? Scripture is very clear. Separation from God. Back to the sins that we have committed. Okay, you look back on the last year and you say, this has not been a perfect life. I have harmed others. I have said things about others. Forward to the judgment that we fear. Inward to the conscience that we have soiled. Outward to the world that we have loved. See where you have come from and be ashamed. Where you are and sigh. Where you're headed and tremble. Because narrow is the gate of salvation. Those are some cutting words, are they not? Extreme words of the law of God revealing us. Uh, Revealing us. And so the devil accuses those words, right? But when the devil accuses, I have found that this is what we should do. What should we do? When the devil accuses you of your sin, agree with him about it. Does that sound strange to you? Did you agree with the devil? His name is Satan, the accuser, and does he accuse you and I rightly? He has the goods on us, doesn't he? Yes? When the devil accuses you of your sin, what you don't do is you disagree with him. In fact, this is what we did at the beginning of the service. If we say we have no sin, we what? Deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. But if we... Confess. If we agree with God about it, God will do something about it. So my suggestion to you in repentance is agree quickly with the evil one about your sin, but then you are not left there. What does the text say in Hebrews chapter 12 then? What do we do? Fix our eyes on Jesus. Fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. Who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Right there is incarnation, crucifixion, resurrection, ascension, the work of Christ for the forgiveness of sins. For the joy set before him did what? Endured the cross, scorning its shame, sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Christmas Day, I had the opportunity to preach uh, this message to those who are gathered there in Africa. It was under the word under. It says, in the incarnation, what do we have? We have a God who understands. The Son of God takes on human flesh and dwells now among us. So does he know what it's like to be tired? Does he know what it's like to be thirsty and hungry? Yes? Does he know what it's like to be slandered and betrayed? Does he know what it's like to suffer? Or is this just a big act? I mean, is he just putting on some performance here? Suffer, yes. Does he know what it's like to grieve with Mary and Martha? And does he know what it's like to die? The ultimate act of humanness and solidarity is what? We all die. And so in the incarnation, what do you have? You have a God who understands. But if that's all you have, and he says, I understand about your life, but doesn't do anything about it, you are left with nothing. Why does he have to take on human flesh and understand? So that he can become what? Sin under the penalty of the law. So Galatians says, when the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under law, to redeem those under the law. And so now Christ takes the sin, and he puts it upon himself, and he bears it under the wrath of God. becomes sin for us. Now that's it, and he just dies, and he says, well, he became sin for us, and, well, that doesn't help at all either. Something has to happen. In that process of dying, he crushes sin and death and the power of the devil, and he puts it all under his his foot, and that's the act of the crucifixion and the resurrection. Puts sin and death under his foot and takes authority over it. And then what does he do? He ascends, doesn't leave us, he is among us, he rules and reigns, and so he has all things under his control. And what does he do in his church? He says, I want to give you the act, the gift, the benefit, the forgiveness of sins. And how does he do that? In simple ways, in, with, and under the bread and the wine, in water and baptism in the Word of God. Hebrews then continues it says, So consider him. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. And so, New Year's morning, I would like to encourage you to do what in this next year? Consider him. Fix your eyes on Jesus. What would be a way to consider him? Well, I have come back, um, I think, in 25 years in the ministry feeling as if I need to start all over again as a child. As a child simply reliant on the scriptures, the Holy Spirit who is the real teacher in the scriptures, focusing solely on the message of the scripture, which is Christ crucified, dead and risen for the forgiveness of sins. Fun found a helpful way to do this while I was teaching in Africa Uh, Martin Luther wrote this letter to his barber. His barber was cutting his hair and he said, can you teach me how to pray? And so Luther thought about it and says, okay, I'll send you back a letter. So he said this, he says, I'll do my best to show you how I approach prayer. May our Lord God help us all to do it better in this regard. You wanted to do it better in this regard in the new year, right? Okay, well, this is what Luther said. First, sometimes I feel I'm becoming cold and apathetic about prayer. Ever feel that way? cold and apathetic about prayer? He says, well, this is usually because of all the things that are distracting me and filling my mind. And I know this is a result of the flesh and the devil always waging war against me, trying to prevent me from praying. When this happens, I like to take my little book of the Psalms and sneak away into a little room, or if it is the right time or day, I like to go to church with other people. First, I read and consider what God is teaching me, Second, I turn to Thanksgiving on account of what God has done. Third, I confess my sin based upon the text. And fourth, I use the text to say a prayer for strong faith. And so Luther sets forward a way to consider. consider Him. consider him. I put it in this way. Um, in Africa, I said, let's, let's put it in these categories: A, B, C and D. Make it simple. like a child learning our ABCs, and ask the question as you take the scriptures, you open the scriptures and you pray to the Holy Spirit, open my eyes that I may see Christ. Open my eyes and you take the scriptures and you take the core description of the Christian faith, the commandments, the creed, the Lord's prayer, baptism, Lord's supper, promise of the forgiveness of sins in the office, of the keys, your vocation, duties in life, and you run them through the ABCs. When you do that, you don't have to do it in this order. You can start with C if you want, B, whatever. But to do A. What is it that God, in this text, or in this portion of the chief parts of the faith, is inviting me to ask for? What does he want me to ask? I mean, if Jesus is still present among us, then he is still saying these words as he did to the blind beggar on the side of the road. What do you want me to do for you? I mean, since he asks, why don't you just tell him? B, what is it that I am to learn and believe? What is this text? Holy Spirit, show me where my unbelief is, where my false belief is, where my little faith is. What are you asking me to believe in this? We shall have no other gods before me. What does this mean? We should fear, love, and trust in God above all things. Okay? I believe that I cannot believe that by my own reason or strength. Holy Spirit, I want to believe that. So what am I to believe? See, what then am I called to confess? I have had many gods. My faith is in myself. What faith I do have is weak. I am prone to sin. It wanders. My heart is not fully devoted. What am I to to confess? I know the words Our Father, but sometimes I don't think that I can pray to this God as a dear child. In fact, I'm a prodigal, far from God. Worse yet, I think that maybe if I can make my way back to the Father, then I might be worthy of asking him for some things. D, finally, what is this text, this meditation, asking me to do better said what is the christ living in me want to change so that now i respond as if it is christ himself doing his work in me how should i praise him how should i thank him how should i act what should be different where is he leading what is he giving me all my hands to do So we stand uh, with two feet, one in the church triumphant, the promise of that, but also the church militant. We stand with the promise that those who have died are in the presence of Christ Jesus, but also as we fight, we don't fight alone. Christ himself is present with us. To affirm that, I'd like for us to close by reading again Hebrews chapter 12, verses one through three. We'll make it a prayer. As we read it, we'll read it slowly, meditate upon it, also use it as a way to enter into our reception of the Lord's Supper, that if we take A, B, C, and D in this text, there are many things that we can ask, believe, confess, and do. One is, we specifically prayer, that there's been many things that in this year have so hindered us and easily the sin that so has easily entangled us, God is asking us to fix our eyes on Jesus, his death, his resurrection. Set that before us. Consider him who endured such opposition. And that when we grow weary and lose heart, what does he desire to do? To sustain us, to nourish us with his body and his blood. And so in uh, the form of a prayer, let's, let's close together reading chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. Therefore, sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you will not grow weary and lose heart.